0: Father Brian Wandell, welcome to the Devices and Desires podcast. This is a a new series that we're starting. Uh, We're doing this as a way to talk about living out a life of faith in the culture that we're living in now. Uh, So all of us who are part of this are living in the Buffalo area. We're involved in a couple of churches, Church of the Atonement in the city of Buffalo, St. Bartholomew's Church in Tonawanda. and, uh, And we're here to really dig deep into Um, some of the hard issues as we try to live out this life of faith and discipleship in a modern world. Uh, We're trying to do this not in a surface-level way, but in a deep way. We're looking at the culture we live in, exposing cracks in the story it tells, stories of progress, self-image, success, and happiness. And we're trying to figure out what it looks like for the gospel to open up from within that fragmented culture. We'll bring our perspective as Anglican Christians, but whoever you are, We hope you'll track with us as we examine the devices and desires of our own hearts and those of our culture. This is this is our first episode, so this is fun because we get to basically talk about who we are, what we're doing. Uh, Like I said, my name is uh, Father Brian Wandell, and I'm an Anglican priest here in Buffalo at Church of the Atonement. I'm joined with me by three friends. We have Deacon Matt Trailer. Matt, can you say hi? Hi, Father Brian. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm glad you're here with us. We also have Father Andrew Tebow. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing well. Thank you. Happy to be here. All right, and finally, we have uh, Jimmy Kibbe. Jimmy, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. All right. Uh, so we are uh, we're sitting here in St. Bartholomew's church today doing this recording. Uh, we hope that you can follow along with what we're doing because this is really important as we think not only think, we think deeply about, uh, about the culture that we're living in. The name of this podcast is Devices and Desires. Uh, what does that mean? Where does that come from? Um, it was really brilliant alliteration. Uh, and we worked really hard on it. But we also <laughs> found it. Um, and that's what's important. We found it. Uh, we didn't make it up ourselves. And that's, uh, that's an aspect of how we try to work out theology, uh, the work of thinking about God, uh, where we are right now, we, we find what has been passed down to us. And we, we try to think well about that. Uh, the, the phrase devices and desires comes from this prayer of confession in the Anglican book of common prayer. Uh, we say we have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. That's really, uh, that's really powerful. Uh, I think it means a couple of things. First of all, on the side of devices. In, in the prayer, it means kind of like uh, the workings of our own hearts. Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting how we use that in our culture today. We have uh, devices that we carry around, uh, smartphones and iPads and wearable tech and all these things. And, and that really creates a new situation uh, for the way that we're trying to live out discipleship and faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, we have to think about it in some ways that People have not thought about these things before, uh, but we also have a lot of tools from what people have given to us. All right, so that's on the devices and the modern culture, living out that life of faith in modern culture. Uh, Andrew, can you tell us a little bit about uh, why why is the topic of desire also something important for us? Um, why, why, why is that rise to
1: such a level for us? Sure. Well, let me start with talking a little bit about what we mean by desire. Uh so I would say that desire is that internal natural longing that all of us have for the good. We can perhaps more like uh rightly even refer to these as uh as loves. These are the things that we love. Obviously there are different degrees of longing or love. Hopefully I long for my wife more than I long for a good dram of bourbon. What we are what, what which bourbon? Uh, a good one? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you looking for label them, names? I can give you those. But
0: <laughs> More so recommendations for later.
2: Yeah. That's another podcast. Uh,
1: what we are primarily concerned with here in this podcast is uh, longing for or love of what is ultimate, right? Mm-hmm. The ultimate good, mm-hmm. that thing that gives us meaning and purpose. Uh, we Christians believe that the ultimate good is the triune God, who is the very source of goodness as well as truth and beauty. What we must note is that our loves can get out of order. I actually may, in fact, long for bourbon more than my wife. Rebecca, if you're listening, I don't. (laughs) It's just an example. Uh, this Andrew, would- I'm cutting you off. Just keep going, keep going with the script, man. Keep going with the script. Uh, this would be a disordered desire or love because I put a lesser good in the place of a greater good. Mm. In other words, disordered loves are what we call sin. Hence the term in the confession of sin. Mm. And this can take a place at the ultimate level, too. Either I misconceive of the ultimate good or I put something else in his place, say my career or money or sex, drugs, rock and roll whatever uh, we think of. But however, in in both cases, uh, it usually boils down to my love of self takes over. Uh, so when the confession says that I have followed too much the desires of my own heart, it means that I have gotten my desires or loves out of order and placed things in God's place first. Uh, but it could also mean that my human relations are out of order too. Uh, and I think in our culture that is increasingly uh, hyper individualistic and leans towards the atomized self uh, it our culture ha- it has a way of emphasizing uh, what, what we might want to call the tyranny of the self uh, our devices do that um, and we'll get into how that happens later too but
0: that's awesome so in other words maybe brief summary here if someone wants to change their life they could they could think of some new ideas they could uh, maybe go to a church they could give a new label to themselves but if uh if their loves don't change then their life doesn't change that much is that right absolutely yeah
1: I'd want to say uh just as a way of nuance that uh, there's a uh, a mutuality or a reciprocity mm-hmm. between um, our intellectual life mm-hmm. as well as our uh desiring life, the, the, the head and the heart are uh, intimately connected. So that sometimes it's the case that our head follows our heart. Uh, other times it's, all, it's the case that we, we do make some sort of intellectual, willful decision to enter into um, habits that will help us change our hearts. But mm. uh, I think there's, there is a mutuality there.
0: Yeah. And so on the one hand, we have erred and strayed from your wa- ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our, your, our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. And there's a flip side to that, too, that the Lord is bringing us to uh, devices and desires and loves Absolutely. of obedience and community and communion.
1: Right. And he gave us his word. Yeah. Right. So we've got to keep that intellect. It's beautiful.
3: I'm reminded, Andrew, of um, the famous phrase from St. Augustine, uh, our hearts um, are longing uh, for something and it can't find its rest until it finds it in you. It's a prayer to God. Um, yeah, and beautiful. just kind of our basic anthropology, our, our understanding of what human beings are, is that we're. We're desiring things. And, you know, you, you think of styles of evangelism, of reaching out to other people and just saying, look at all the things that you've chased in your life and none of them have actually satisfied you, have they? Um, well, no, not, not completely. Um, and we say, well, we actually we'd, we have a solution to that because you have a creator who made you for himself. Um, so that just reminded me of what you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, absolutely, M-
0: Matt. That's a good transition. So, three things that we're trying to do here: one, what's what's the title, "Devices and Desires." Second, what's our vision that we're trying to do, and that's what I want to get to. And then we'll talk about some terms that we used last. So, Matt, you you when you talked about that, um, can can you just can you give us uh, w- what's the vision of uh, this podcast here?
3: Right, we've uh, we've given the vision uh, title this: finding a sacred world in a secular age. Finding a Sacred World in a Secular Age. Um, And to understand that, we should probably look at this distinction between sacred and secular. Um, Sacred would be, um, synonymous words would be like holy, um, would be set apart, would be other. um, And kind of the idea in the Bible, um, the idea of, of what we mean here. Um, is that there are particular things that God has set aside mainly for his own worship, for his own use. Um, so that that would generally be what we mean by sacred. Um, and secular um, would be um, that which belongs to the world or, or that which belongs to kind of this age, this time period only. Um, so... Uh, and, and these two things this, the sacred and the secular for us um these are distinct things, certainly, um but they can't be separated um and and that is because while God is other he's set apart from creation that's what we mean by god a a creator we're we're theists um there's one God who created separate from himself um and yet yet um Uh, That sacredness, that otherness is revealed within this world, within this age. Um, So when we say finding a sacred world in a secular age, we basically mean we're, we're looking for what God is doing in the here and now. Um, what is God up to? What is that sacredness um, that God is drawing into the worship of him within our experience, within our society, um, and that society being both a society that, that was made for God, as we were saying, um, but also a society that has rejected God. And so what is God doing in the midst of this, um, this chorus of praise that is ongoing, um, as well as um, what is God doing uh, amidst our rebellion and the ways in which we've, we've left God? So um, finding a sacred world in a secular age is yeah,
0: yeah so it's like we're, we're not in christendom exactly anymore where it's like we could assume that everything is christian around us um we're also not just like creating a new world you know like from like nothing that we're in uh we find we're born into this country in this age and this place that we're in um and god has given us the responsibility and task of uh finding him of seeking his kingdom within that right mm. Um, so that's really good. One, The kind of structure that we'll work through is finding a, a sacred world in a secular age. The structure that we'll use is kind of an image. So if you can think here, uh, we're going to talk in a minute about s- secularism, that kind of thing. Um, and we, we, we hear these stories of uh, what it's like to live in this world. These are stories that are not necessarily Christian, sometimes anti-Christian. Uh, we hear stories about um, a, a good life that's... Uh, all about material stuff or all about uh, kind of like I- exploring within yourself to find your, your best self now, something like that. Um, and, but these stories are so hard to get out of. Uh, and so if you imagine these stories, these stories are like, like concrete on the ground. It looks hard. It looks uniform. Uh, it looks flat. It looks like it can't be disturbed. Um, but okay, let's take this uh, image a step further. Uh, sometimes you see in concrete, it gets uh, kind of broken up in various ways and something can grow within that. So the three stages we're looking at here are, one, what's the concrete? What's the narrative that we're looking at in the world around us that looks hard, that looks solid, uh, it's hard to break through? Uh, Two, how does that actually break up? So how does the, the, the narrative, the stories around us, how does that break up in ways that are just not acknowledged by the culture? How is it falling apart? And then three, what does it look like for the gospel to flourish from within that. Imagine like a green plant suddenly growing up from the cracks and the sidewalk there. Uh, what's, what's that going to look like in our culture in this time in the 21st century United States of America for the gospel to flourish from within that, uh, that narrative mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. All right, so this is our vision. Uh, I, I mentioned in the beginning, uh, all, all four of us, we're coming from um, a perspective of Anglican Christians, uh, and so that's going to come out in some ways um, about how we kind of define our terms, which we're going to get into here. Uh, we are uh, We as Anglicans, though, are not people who say... Uh, there is uh, there is only the, the terms that we use, and those are the only terms that can be used. Uh, we uh, we embrace catholicity, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, the sense that there is a broadness to the Christian tradition, so we really we invite people to to come into this and step into it, and to receive from God together. I think it's also
1: important to note, Brian, that while we don't even name all the terms, uh, the terms that we do name and define there are uh, a variety of opinions yeah, on them. totally. So just totally. because we define, say, de- desires in one way, doesn't mean that we as Anglicans have the final say sure. on this. Hopefully, we're answering these things or naming these things uh, in the course of the tradition. Yeah.
0: All right, so let, let's be the podcast dictionary for a minute. Uh, we're going to just define yeah. some terms because we're going to use some terms, I, and I don't know if all of our listeners are going to be on the same page about the way they use these these words, if you've heard them or not. So we're gonna, these are words that will probably come up it, in almost If you every haven't episode. heard
2: these words, dictionary.com is great. I recommend it. <laughs> I've used it a lot lately Thank, thanks, conversation Jeremy. with these guys.
0: Shameless plug. <laughs> Um, We'll we'll get a finder's fee from them at some point. Uh, So so I'm going to go through a few and just ask some questions to to my friends here. Uh, So first, um, theology. Uh, We're going to use that word a lot. It sounds kind of like a highfalutin thing. Um, Matt, what is theology?
3: Yeah, so theology is just from two words, uh, a logos, uh, a word about a thing, ology, um, and theos, uh, a god. So theology would just be The study of God, and what we mean, I guess, is what um, we can and should say about God. Any particular issue? So, um, in this podcast, we'll kind of be bringing up issues relevant to culture, relevant to life um, inside the church, outside the church, Uh, and so theology is is what we think about that, and what we can and should say um, about God about that. You know, I think one way that what we our perspective might contrast with kind of a popular view of theology. Um, is that, you know, most people would say, well, theology is, is maybe how we experience God. So maybe God to you is this way and God to me is this way. Um, generally, it seems like our society would agree on a few things. Um, generally, God exists, is, is pretty popular in our society. Um, he's probably good. That would be a, a theological statement um, that most people would, would agree with. Not all, but but many. Um, he probably wants us to be good. Um, there's a sort of moral aspect of theology. Um, and he wants us to be happy is, is also a very common uh, understanding of things. Um, right. And we, one, one, um, sociologist has called this, uh, moralistic therapeutic deism. Um, so this belief that, that God is a good God and he wants us to be good and he wants us to be happy. Um, but we really can't know that much about him. He probably kind of got the world going and that's about it. Okay. So that would be a sort of the most popular view of God in our society. Um, but, but we understand theology a little bit different, um, our way of theology um, would be following the way of Jesus and his church. Um, so, following Jesus and his church, we kind of we have a particular method or, or model of understanding theology. Um, first, we're going to say, well, how has God appeared to us uh, in the world, and and what has he said in the world? Um, Andrew, you were just mentioning that um, the Bible, scriptures, is going to be our starting point when we do theology. Um, And, of course, we know that um, God has revealed himself in creation as well. So um, we're going to uh, be reading creation through scripture and these sorts of things. So this is kind of our starting place. Um, The next step we'll probably make is looking at the church. Uh, We want to listen to God in the scripture. We want to listen to the spirit in the church um, and say, okay, how has the church interpreted scripture um, for the last 2,000 years? That's going to be very important to us. Um, and then we're going to use our reason. We're going to use our experience to try to understand well what's going on here, and how does um, what we can and should say about God? How does that apply to our issues right now? Um, the things that we're dealing with. Um, certainly, we're going to we're going to learn the age old questions, um, but we've also got to answer new questions and new aspects. Um, so. Um, that's generally going to be our model. Now, in real life, um, we don't necessarily go in that sequence, right? Sometimes uh, something in our experience raises a question, uh, and then we ask what the tradition thinks, and then we go back to scripture and say, oh, okay, yeah, I seem to, to kind of make sense of it that way. Um, uh, and uh, But if there's a conflict, let's say, between our experience and what the church has said about it, or our experience and what the scripture has said about it, then we are going to follow this order of theology. We're going to um, start with scripture and then look and see what, how the tradition has understood that, and then look at our recent experience. So this is kind of our
0: way of doing theology. So Matt, uh, two questions here. Yeah. Uh, one question is, uh, I can imagine, you know, thinking here. So you guys said you're going to talk about culture, mm-hmm. uh, living out faith in the world that you're living in. Okay. I can get a handle on that, but man, you're getting into deep theology now. Like how is this relevant to talking about culture so that's question one, and then two is, well, man, theology, you guys are just looking to create divisions, right? Like, these are just arguments. Uh, you're just going to break people apart, right? Uh, can you can you respond to that? Those are good questions.
3: Uh, I'd kind of throw it out to the group. Uh, did you have thoughts on that initially, Father Brian? Well, Way to defer. Way to defer. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, well, okay, all right, I'll kick it off then. Um, well, you, you're the deacon, so actually, you're the one that usually should be getting, you know, the... <laughs> What the what the rector doesn't want.
0: Mm. Let me kick off on the first one there. Maybe someone else can take about whether it's divisive. Um, uh, so when we when we talk about theology, we're, we're we're trying to figure out how to think and talk about God in all kinds of ways. And sometimes that's the like uh, Trinity and uh, like God's what does God know in the future and things like that. Uh, but but many times we're just thinking about what what does it mean to talk about God um, in in any context? Any time we're going to think about God anytime we're going to a- apply concepts uh, we're using theology and so we're doing that when we when we think about politics we're doing that when we think about Um, our life of faith and discipleship with respect to our careers and uh, music and culture that we listen to. Theology is being worked out in all of those areas. And if we don't do it, then we get an assumed theology, and that's almost always a bad theology. And so so really applying Christianity well to our lives requires some level, like— We live, you know what, we live in a complex world and we get some benefits from that. Like we get these like really cool smartphones um, as like a badge. But we, but it's also like, to be honest, it's just, it is
3: kind of hard to be a Christian now because we do have to think about it. All right. Yeah, that's, that's really good, Brian. Um, You know, one thing uh, that reflection um, brings up is that there, there is assumptions about reality that we all bring. Um, So the idea of, of doctrine and theology um, just uh, asks us, uh, is what we think about reality in line with the reality of God? Um, so we, we um, what sometimes we term uh, um, conceptual furniture, you know, we, we already think certain things exist in the world. Um, and then when God enters in, uh, now, what do we think exists in the world? Uh, so for instance, um, you know, there are people around here um, must hope that the Buffalo Bills are going to win the Super Bowl next year, as fanatical as they are about their bills, you know, and, and uh, love patriotism and, uh, and don't mention local, Patriots. Uh, sorry, <laughs> different patriotism. Um, and I uh, love that, love that. But it, it assumes something about reality. Um, and then it creates this whole system of practices of going to Bills games and talking about them and all these sorts of things. So similarly, um, if God really exists, um, let's say the doctrine of Jesus coming back to judge the living and the dead, that's a, a core Christian belief. Well, if that's true, then I've got to arrange my life in such a way that I'm prepared for Jesus to come back. Um, so this sort of thing of um, that doctrine is really tied in with how we live is is important.
2: I, I'm interested to see what the theological implications are for somebody squirting ketchup and mustard all over themselves or having other people do it. Uh, Jimmy's leading games. that episode uh, mm-hmm. in season two.
0: Alone. He's uh. leading that episode alone. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, real quick. But
2: I, I did wanted to say, though, like, in terms of theology, it's just... Um, you know, looking at the at the scriptures, uh, the importance for finding out who we are as as people is you know we need to know who God is because in, no, in in knowing God then we know who we are. Yeah.
0: So uh, real quick, uh, theology
2: is divisive.
1: Uh... Depends on what you mean by divisive. Okay. Uh, Go. Does theology lend itself towards disagreement? Well, yes, because we're talking about issues of truth. Uh, and not just any truth, but ultimate truth. Uh, and one of the, the key foundations of Christianity is that we believe in this thing called objective truth. Um, we might d- disagree about how we can know objective truth, uh, but if we are going to make the claims that we make about the triune God, if we're going to make the claims that we make about the person of Jesus Christ, then we are making claims to objectivity, no matter how we think that we get there or not. So we're going to have disagreement, right? Because all of us are uh, inhabiting different places in the culture, we're inhabiting um, different stories, even as we try to work towards the one unified story in the Christian faith. But that doesn't mean it has to be divisive, and it doesn't mean that it's necessarily unloving. Mm. Now, we're, Mm. we're sinners, so we have to take that into consideration. And looking at church history, you can see that yes, it has it has been divisive in ways that are regrettable, that we should repent and ask the Lord's forgiveness for. But it need not be that way. We right. can have civil, charitable discussions about this if we remember our identity in Christ. And I would also want to add that we can have and should be having uh, theological conversations with people outside the church. Yeah, And we should be having that dialogue in a way... That is loving that hears the other for the sake of the other that that loves them yeah. for their own sake. Here's what they have to say, uh, but also is able to intelligently uh, respond to their concerns, respond to their um their criticism. And I think that's another reason why it's important for us to be able to talk about theology yeah. in our culture. As our culture increasingly distance itself from the Christian faith, we need to be able to answer their concerns.
0: That's really good. It's not just an internal parlor game. It's not it's not just like right.
1: the the Christianese language that we use. We don't want to be fideistic, right? We w- we want our language to be accountable to other languages yeah, yeah. and to be able to speak to those other languages really
3: good. And i think there's a positive sense of uh divisive in that you know if if we're two rational human beings um and you think one thing and i think the opposite Well, one of us has to have our thoughts aligned with reality, right? If you think, you know, our house is going to burn down tomorrow, you don't tell me. That's going to be really important for me. (laughs) Uh, And so often um, when I'm talking with someone who isn't used to having kind of religious conversations or spiritual conversations, I'll say, hey, I I think you probably have something important um, in your spiritual life to share with me. And, and if we're both kind of getting at the same spiritual reality, then, then I probably have something that might be important that I want to share with you sort of thing, you know. Um, so in that sense, um, dividing truth, uh, reality from non-reality, I think is an important role that our, our theology uh, has to play.
1: Sure. But even there, I'd want to emphasize that we're in disagreement and we're working towards truth. We're not breaking the unity between our relationship, right? Yeah, that's good.
0: Okay. We spent 10 minutes on that definition. Uh, none of the others are allowed to get anywhere close to that. <laughs> Good An- luck, Andrew, it's your job to get us back on track. I'm relying on you. Define secular or secularism. Ready?
1: Go. Uh, well, actually, this one's kind of complicated, so I'll try my best. Um, but it, it doesn't always seem complicated, right? Because on the one hand, it's a pretty straightforward term. The word secular simply means something along the lines of things that don't have to do with God, Mm -hmm. or more technically relating to worldly or or temporal. Mm -hmm. Uh, On the other hand, there are all all sorts of additional applications and and modifications, uh, secular humanism, secularism, uh, a secular age, and we can name more. Uh, For our purpose here in this podcast, I think we are interested in a bevy of different ways that we might use uh, secular or it, it, isms. Uh, so let me just say a couple things. One, uh, I, I think we want to follow Charles Taylor uh, when he talks about a secular age as being one where belief of any sort, including atheistic belief, uh, is contested in, a, in our pluralistic marketplace of ideas. Uh, so going back to that idea of dialogue uh, inside and outside. And then, in this age, we all suffer from doubt and are haunted by faith. uh two secularism and uh secular humanism are worldviews intent on defining all things human and uh all things human are otherwise uh, with no reference to the transcendent so we we've talked about that a little bit already, but uh so let me give a for instance what that might look like um. So I'm driving in to work one morning, and I see a beautiful sunrise, or I'm, I'm driving home from work, and I see a beautiful sunset. Well, in this worldview, I'm only expected to think about that as light reflecting off particles in the air. And, and that is true. That is what's happening. But that's the material level of it. So we're told there is no source of beauty behind this, this mechanistic or materialist Phenomena, and questions and attempts to get behind what is, you know, questions about beauty or the source. Uh, These sorts of questions are, we're told, are delusional or they're dangerous because get wanting to ask if there's a source of beauty, then must mean that I'm just looking for a reason to exert power over somebody else. Like I have access to that source or something that I know something that you don't know. Um. And this is all sort of part and parcel, I think, of um, that secularism worldview. Uh, And it's also the case uh, that in these, the the extremities of this worldview, the extreme cases, uh, humanity as a whole and as individuals uh, is free to define right and wrong with no recourse to outside influence. So going back to that that atomized self. Hmm.
0: Good. Okay. Let's keep moving forward. Uh, Jimmy, we've got a good one for you. Uh, we, we talk about it We're going to use this word all the time. Uh, so let's just start off on a good foot here. <laughs>
2: what does, what does culture mean? You already started off on a wrong foot when you said Jimmy. But <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is a very, um, it, it's a very difficult term to pin down because we use it in so many different contexts. And I think as we're looking at um, culture uh, from our perspective, we're more so looking at the way we, as a collective body of individuals, basically do things, and the way that we think about things in in, in, in more of a collective sense. The way that we, you know, the, the way that we live out our lives, um, the way that we interact with one another, um, all of that sort of plays into this idea of culture. And so we're kind of looking at. Um, culture so more more so in that lens than say just you know you know arts you know and 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 those kind of things which we sometimes associate with culture you Mm -hmm. know um so that i would probably say um in a in more of a brief way that that's kind of what we're sort of focusing on in terms of when we mention culture is that we're looking at um our society um our collective um lives And and the way that we do things, the way that we think about things, the way that we interact with each other, um, you know, and that varies from, you know, various regions and stuff. Of course, we're operating within Western New York, so um, our hands-on experience is in within this Western New York culture. But uh, for some of us that have lived outside of that, you guys, like uh, Father Andrew, Nicky Matt, you guys have had... And even Father Brian, because you were down in D.C., and that's a whole other culture in and of itself, I think, anyway. Um, but you guys have had experience outside of that, too. So, But that's kind of what I would say is sort of what we're looking at. There's an
0: interesting, you know, I think you said it, you said it right. It's easy for us to segment, like, culture is one thing in a certain area. It's like the art museum and the music or something like that. Uh, or we might say something about pop culture. But there's, like, an interesting collection of words that are all related there. There's culture mm-hmm. like the things that we're sort of like it, se- it seems like we're engaged in our like leisure time and then there's uh the cultists which is just worship right we use the word cultus for like uh like bad worship sometimes but cultists could just be worship in general uh, there's also like the agriculture, agriculture you know, uh, the sense of cultivating, land. cultivating land, which is work and building up. And all of those are all related. Like, it's not, you know, there's just, there's the etymology, the word like themselves, but it's true that all of those are related in various ways in culture. Yeah. Uh, the, the worship, the, the desires of our hearts, as well as um, the, the labor, the things we do contribute to that too. So that, I think that's, that's really important. Uh, next word, Andrew, flourish
1: or flourishing. Good word. Good word. Uh, so we're all familiar with the phrase, the good life. Yeah. Right? Uh, usually we use it in a sentence like, she is living the good life. Yeah. Right? Something like that. Uh, when we use it in this way, we are signaling that a given person has reached a level of flourishing. They've arrived, so to speak. Uh, we should notice the word good in the phrase as our view of the good life is bound up with our conception of what it is ultimately good. So going back to that idea. Uh, from the definition of desires. And this is where the church and our culture usually, and hopefully, uh, depart company. The culture has a tendency to think about flourishing in terms of the autonomous free self, while the church, historically speaking, has thought of flourishing in more relational terms. Uh, The good life in the church is a life lived in relation first to God and then with our neighbors. This sort of flourishing might be sought in the context must be sought in the context of community, in the fellowship of individual families, and in the larger family of God, the church. And this is because the church has historically believed that humanity was created in the image of God as relational creatures that finds uh, well, we find our fulfillment in union with God first, and then uh, work that out in the context of community um, when we love one another. right So think of the two great commandments to love God and to love. Your neighbor—that's what we were created for—and so, in a certain sense, our flourishing comes when we live into that in community.
3: So, if someone asks you how you're doing and you say "living the dream," should you reply, "Wait, which dream?" <laughs> Only uh, if you want a quick smack in the mouth. Yeah. Uh, okay. uh, I would. I would I'm, say- no. <laughs> I'm, 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 fl- I'm flourishing. How about you? Mm-hmm. Just
2: a just a quick diamond just, just a quick point. I will. I would like to say, anybody that is you know familiar with genesis account you know the i the fact is is that god created us to be in a paradise we screwed that up but god created us to be in a paradise you know that you know he wants us to be happy he wants us to flourish so
0: yeah yeah that's great okay uh matt here's a here's a weird word mm.
3: catechesis mm-hmm. what in the world yes catechesis uh that's an old word uh it means to teach to catechize means to teach um, so when we say there's, there's a whole um, list of endings here, uh, catechesis, to catechize, um, a catechist, someone who teaches, a catechism, a list of questions and answers that teach. Uh, so it just means uh, some formal teaching of some sort.
0: Catechumen. A catech... C-
3: ah! ah. <laughs> Someone who is learning uh, from yeah. a teacher. I right? hope everybody's kind of writing all these down. <laughs> There'll be a test later. The idea is um, that in the early church, when people were interested in God, and the Christian God revealed in Jesus, um, they would come in and become, as you just said, Brian, catechumens, um, learners. And so there were official teachers in the church, and they would teach these new initiates, these new people, um, what is the faith? What do we believe about God? Um, And tied to this word, uh, catechesis is another word, uh, discipleship. Um, And it's kind of the other end, it's being a student. Um, So this catechesis, teaching this discipleship, being a student, um, we're all about kind of following the way of Jesus. So how do we follow Jesus teaching? How do we follow Jesus' way of life? Um, How do we be like Jesus in the world? Um, So this kind of formal process of of learning to be like Jesus, of learning to, well, just learning from Jesus, um, is what we mean when we say catechesis, to to teach formally, um, or discipleship to kind of follow Jesus, both in our thought life and in our actions and our desires, kind of the whole package.
0: So Matt, if someone has a background in like a liturgical church, they might know this word because of something they did when they were a teenager there was catechesis, uh, or when someone first comes to faith, what, what does that mean for someone who has been a Christian for a long time,
3: whether ongoing, like how, how does that fit in? Sure. So, um, well, for uh, for instance, our denomination, the Anglican Church in North America, um, and many others, um, have uh, a formal catechism, questions and answers. Um, and so different parishes, different um um, instances of of churches, um, we'll have kind of different processes for uh, people coming in, and part of that, hopefully, um, if informal, um, we'll be making sure they understand the faith, understand their creed, um, that sort of thing. Um, but then there's also a sense of kind of deepening your faith, um, and in many ways, kind of coming back to the basics can can really deepen uh, your faith. Um, we can never get away from. Uh, these basic things we believe about God and the world, um, because we're so fast to leave them in our life, um, to think that other things are more real, to follow other visions of the good life, as Andrew's been talking about. Um, so we we always want to come back to these sort of basic things. Um, and and for the church, they're captured in, in what we call the creeds, um, these statements that all Christians in the early church agreed on, yes, this is what basically the Bible teaches. Um, so in a lot of times, our, our catechisms are... Um, formal questions and answers, and that process um, will at least in part revolve around the creed. What is this kind of basic statement that all Christians agree on? Um, last is Anglicans. Um, this is often what we'll say is sort of um, the 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 bottom. Um, um, I don't know, hurdle, the, what you need to become a Christian, what you need to be part of the church, to enter its worship, to be baptized, this sort of thing, um, is to believe the creed and, and, gro- and start growing in your understanding of, of what all is implied in life in Christ. We're, we're all learners. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'd, I'd
1: like to add uh, just a couple thoughts yeah. if I could. Um, one, to go back to the idea of the basics of the faith, uh, if we're talking about the eternal source of truth, beauty, and goodness, uh, you can't mine that too deep. Uh, you're never yeah. going to reach the bottom of that. Wait, so, wait. for us as Christians to go back to the basics isn't to go back to rudimentary things. Yeah. It's to go back to great depth, hmm. right? So, even though I may have a PhD or and I don't, but assuming that yeah. I did, I could go back to you know Jesus loves me for the Bible tells me so over and over and over again, uh, and continue to to get more and more depth there. I'd also like to mention that there are two other parts to the catechism. It's just not the mm-hmm. creed. It's also uh, built around the Ten Commandments, so teaching us how to live the Christian life and then also uh, the Lord's Prayer to teach us how to relate to God. So you have the theology of the creed. You have the Ten Commandments teaching us the the moral way that we are to go and then uh, prayer. That's great. Let's keep moving forward.
0: Just a couple more here. Andrew, what is liturgy? What do we mean by that when we talk about liturgy?
1: Yeah, so liturgy is another one of these really uh, multi-layered questions. So uh, just on the most basic uh, level, uh, liturgy means the work of the people. So when we talk about liturgy, we're usually talking about our order of worship within uh, our Sunday service, right? The the, the way that we do these things uh, together. For us as Anglicans, uh, this gets expanded uh, to include uh, what we call the daily offices, Uh, morning prayer, midday prayer, evening prayer, and Compline. Uh, And then again, along with our Sunday services. And and as Anglicans, we say we should be praying these uh, every day. Uh, Every church has an order of worship, uh, but liturgical traditions are more intentional and cognizant of it. Uh, And then for our purposes here in this podcast, we would like to follow James K.A. Smith in expanding the term liturgy uh, to cl- include all the rituals rites and stories that direct our desires toward various objects of desire so thinking about the good life uh, these rituals uh these practices um these stories are what teach us what the good life is and in teaching us what the good life is and teach us what it is to flourish and then what we ought to love uh in this sense, not only does the church have a liturgy or liturgies designed to aim our hearts at God, but also the various uh, instantiations of culture do too. Yeah. Uh, so the different parts of our culture teach us to love secular things. Uh, Jamie uses, uh, well, he uses a lot of examples, but one of them is advertisers, right? Advertisers tell a particular story of what the good life is. They show us these uh, ritzy pictures and, and things like that to sort of stir up our emotions to think that's what the good life is. That's what I should chase. Uh, he also uses another great example of, uh, the national liturgical practice before every NFL game, right? Uh, you're there, everyone's standing together. They've got their hands over their heart. Everyone's singing their love for, for blood and soil and the flag, uh, just as a wing of F 14 screech across the sky sky and, and everybody gets a tear in their eye and, Oh, I love the USA. Uh, and that's not to say that love for state is a bad sure, thing, right? right? But it can be a bad thing when it takes the place of a greater love. Yeah. When our identity is found as an American before it's found as uh, the son and daughter of the living God, yeah. like that's a bad thing. That yeah. um, and those national liturgies are meant actually to do that very thing. They're meant to stir up our devotion and our and our willingness to sacrifice, right? Uh, so, you have liturgies of the church and then you have liturgies of the culture as
0: well. Yeah, so liturgy and catechesis are both things that are about long term vision for formation, right? It's not just what did I say this past Sunday, but what have I said every Sunday for the last however many absolutely. years, right? Um, and so, so, for that reason, um, this is applicable not just for people who are in quote unquote liturgical churches, but any church, right? There's something that's happening. Absolutely, there, right?
1: absolutely. Like I said, every church has a liturgy. They just. I mean, because it's an order, mm-hmm. right? It's something that we're doing over and over and over yeah. again. The difference between a liturgical church and one that would consider themselves not to be liturgical is that the liturgical church might just be more uh, cognizant that, that that's what they're doing. Sure. They're more, and, and because of that, they're able to be more intentional sure. about it.
0: Yeah, so like, the key word is not, that, not necessarily formality versus informality as right. much as intentionality. Like being yes. intentional, right? Yeah, I
1: think that's an important word.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's good. Um, all right, let's go just a couple more here. Matt, what is the gospel?
3: Well, I did just have to answer that question <laughs> in an ordination exam, but um, perhaps. And you, you were ordained. Uh... <laughs> I was ordained, yeah, yeah. so I had a passing answer. Um, but, real brief um, the gospel, the uh, euangelion, the evangelical uh, thing. Um, is just the good news, the glad tidings. Um, so what are these glad tidings about? What What is the good news? Um, well, Jesus said it this way, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Okay, well, we're getting a little more clarity. The kingdom of God, what is that about? Um, well, the kingdom of God presumably has a king. Um, so that king, well, ultimately is, is God um, in a certain sense. But for... Uh, Christians, the church, Jesus, Jesus himself is the king. So the gospel is this proclamation, this, this uh, announcement of the good news that that the king has finally come, the king we've been waiting for. Um, so this is sort of, what do you say? This is a, a sort of um, God's reordering of society. Um, society is no longer kind of about us and our own building of things, um, but it's about Jesus and what God is doing uh, through him. Um, so, how does that help us? Who cares? Um, what's what's the deal here with this kingdom? Um, well, uh, one thing is, what happened to Jesus? Um, unfortunately, we killed him. Uh, that's that's the bad news. The good news is God raised him from the dead. So it's
1: Lent. We don't talk about that right really. <laughs>
3: now. Sorry, right? We're getting there. We're getting there. Not yet. Um, but uh, the good news is that actually, by raising him from the dead, God said that. What Jesus said and did is true, um, such that um, the things that Jesus claimed about himself, like being God, um, that's going to help us uh, because we actually had had broken away from God. And thus, Jesus is able to reconcile us uh, being the God man himself, God coming to us. Um, His self-sacrificial death is is part of this kingdom, that that actually to participate in this kingdom, we have to follow Jesus uh, to his cross, and we take up our own crosses and participate in his um, self-sacrificial life for others. Um, we call this vocation, what we're called to do in the world um, to bring God's presence into it. Um, so uh, in sum, I, I said I was trying to, trying to summarize here. Um, the gospel is the good news that Jesus has come to fix our relationship with God and then our responding to that good news by entering um, life with God uh, through Jesus um, and, and all the things that that entails in, in the Christian um, way of life. Preach. A plus. Excellent. I still pass.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Two more quick words before we finish. Andrew, sometimes we use the word Catholic, but we don't always mean necessarily, like people can mean different things by that word. What what, do, what are we going to mean sometimes when we say that word Catholic?
1: Sure. Well, uh, one of the meanings, the quicker meaning is as in Roman Catholic, right, the, uh, that longstanding uh, institution. Uh, the way we'll probably use it most often in this uh, this podcast is in terms of universal. So that word Catholic means, uh, the universal faith. Uh, so things, if something is Catholic, it is held by all, uh, at all times in all places.
0: Bam. Got it. Okay.
1: I'll, I'll get one more word
0: here. Uh, the word is evangelical uh, that's a hard word because because um, it has a particular cultural meaning for us too uh, the word evangelical in some ways Matt you already defined it because you talked about gospel and that's where the word evangelical com- it just come it means like gospelly basically you know or gospelly person or something <laughs> uh, when in the Bible uh, and so Christians have always used the word evangelical for that reason uh, and especially though at renewal times uh, the word evangelical the Martin Luther considered himself an evangelical that kind of thing. Um, an evangelical catholic that's true yeah 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 um and but uh I, i think over the last few centuries a sort of like basic uh definition of kind of what what we sometimes call an evangelical has centers around four ideas, uh, and there's a, a scholar who, who defined this, so sometimes called the Bebbington Quadrilateral. So four things you might recognize about uh, an evangelical perspective would be uh, centrality of the—number one, centrality of the cross. So cross is very central to how you think about Jesus and what Jesus did in the world. Uh, two, uh, biblicism or being centered around the Bible, uh, strong, strong sense of inerrancy of scripture going directly to the Bible as, as much as possible. Uh, third would be activism. Uh, so not just um, not just like a pietistic in our minds uh, kind of thing, but like actually you know, faith having an, an effect on how, how you live out your life and going out into the world and that kind of thing. Um, And then last would be conversionism, a sense that coming to Christ means like a total change, often in one moment. Uh, Isn't exactly how all Christians always think about this, but it's kind of a a distinctive of of the evangelical uh, hallmark. So as you hear these things, you can think like, oh, yeah, well, those are all true in their various ways. Uh, You can also qualify them in different ways, right? And different people might have different perspectives notably of course as we get into more modern day evangelicals you could add a whole lot of other things and it becomes pretty difficult uh styles of music and political issues and all of these kind of things uh we'll use them in some different ways as we go we'll try to kind of let people know if we use that word what we're talking about i want to finish up here Uh, we're going to get on to our next episode we'll really dig into a topic really soon before we do that uh, i'd like if all of us could pray this prayer of confession together that we got this name from devices and desires and i want to invite our listeners to pray this with us as we do it in a book of common prayer it's on page 12 or you could just follow along with us Uh, and uh, as we as we do this we're going to talk about ideas but we we really are talking about our lives and and change grace comes from Jesus Christ, uh, and so we come to Christ in humility and confession, and we trust Him for renewal. So I want to start out on that note. If we can pray this prayer together, let's begin. Almighty and most merciful, merciful Father, Father, we, we have, have erred and strayed from Your ways like lost sheep. We have, have followed too much the devices and desires of our, our own hearts. hearts. We, we have, have offended against Your holy laws. that we we may now now live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you absolution and remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening with us, folks. We look forward to discussing with you further.